Hi, I'm Jack, and this is Tuck In, We're Rolling, Queer Hollywood Stories. Before we get into today's story, um, real quick, I just wanted to mention again that there will be no episode next week because I'm going to be spending my weekend in Los Angeles visiting a friend and doing touristy things like taking selfies with the Hollywood sign and visiting a few cemeteries so I can pay my respects to some of my favorite Golden Age stars. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming in two weeks' time, and I thank everyone for their patience. And um, real quick, I want to go ahead and give a content warning for this entire episode. Um, There's a bit of, like, I guess, body horror um, and uh, a lot of talk about addiction and a little bit about conversion therapy. So here we go. I'm very excited for this week's episode uh, because it's kind of the reason I even made this podcast. We're going to be talking about my boy Monty Clift. Uh, We're going to talk about his struggle with his sexuality and also why we don't talk about famous queer people when they're not young and beautiful anymore. So if you're not familiar with Monty's movies, I'll forgive you, but um, I think because his life was so short, and not like James Dean short, but short enough, um, it's, it's all the more important to watch his films. So like Brando, he was from Omaha, and also like Brando, he employed the method. But he did bristle at his style being categorized like that. Uh, in the beginning of his career, he was incredibly handsome. I mean, hurts to look at him handsome the way that young Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze were. The camera just, like, loved his face. Probably because it had um, a lot of ins and outs, but I mean, he was gorgeous. In A Place in the Sun, when he smiles at Elizabeth Taylor, it's, it's like... Like, I don't know how to describe it without getting, like, really cheesy and maudlin, but I think that's kind of the thing uh, about Monty. Um... He makes it sort of okay to get cheesy and maudlin, because that's what he did. So if you're going to binge on Monty's movies, start with A Place in the Sun and give it a chance, I swear. In your memory, it is a million times better than the first time you watch it. But that's also the thing with Monty, uh, kind of, I think. In your memory, he's just a million times better than he ever was in life. So after you've watched A Place in the Sun, and um, maybe from Here to Eternity, which you've probably seen clips from or homages to, whether you know it or not, uh, because of the scene where Burt Lancaster and Deborah Kerr kiss in the breaking waves, switch it up and watch the movies that he made in the second half of his career. Uh, Watch Suddenly Last Summer and watch The Young Lions, which I know I've mentioned a million times before on this show. Um, You'll notice something very different. And that is his face. You know, that handsome boy from Omaha with the stars in his eyes doesn't really look so handsome anymore. He's different. You know, his characters are wild-eyed and tired. His face is different. He still looks like himself, but wrong. So what happened? Now, I think I've mentioned um, post-accident Monty Clift before, and now I'm actually going to explain the distinction. There were really two things, kind of, that defined Monty's life and his career. And the first one is meeting Elizabeth Taylor, and the second one is the car accident that destroyed his face. Um, And I know when I say it like this, it sounds incredibly simple, but it really is a lot more complicated than that. Cliff got his start around the same time uh, as Brando did in the same place as him, in New York on the stage. Um, He was only a few years older than Brando, and the two of them were friendly their whole lives. 
there are some rumors um, about them being involved, and maybe that's true, but uh, Brando never said anything in the affirmative. And, you know, even though Brando admitted that he'd had relationships with men, he never named names. But I think it's worth pointing out again um, that this this whole thing about theater and drama and nurturing uh, weird queerness, but, you know, especially in the late 40s and 50s when Brando and Clift got their start, they were very actively denying queer people their right to exist. So Monty is hands down, one of the most handsome men to ever grace the screen. But Monty's queer. And I say queer and not gay because he had sexual relationships primarily with men, but fell in love primarily with women. And I honestly don't think that he really gave it much thought until he met Liz. He had a few relationships with women before her, um, and he had been arrested for soliciting a male prostitute at least once. But, you know, so then he meets Liz. And she's 17, 18, She's the most beautiful girl in the world. They met because their studio uh, forced them to go out on a date for a premiere of one of his movies uh, to drum up a little bit of buzz about them being together in A Place in the Sun. Um, But they ended up getting along like a house on fire. And there's a lot of talk about whether or not Monty and Liz ever had a quote-unquote real relationship. Um, Liz broke a thousand hearts, uh, but after his death, She said that she always knew Monty was supposed to be with a man, which makes me think that he might have really been one of the only ones that ever broke her heart. So, you know, like I said, I really don't think Monty thought too much about his split sexuality, Uh, not because it didn't, you know, cause him anxiety or anything, but because it, it actually really did. And sometimes when you think on something that causes that much pain, it's just too much and you can't. So he meets Liz and it's like, All of a sudden, he realizes that he can't love Liz the way that he feels that he's supposed to or the way that he thinks that he should. Um, But I think really that's that's a pretty big contributing factor to some of his emotional issues. Like when Liz had her first baby, he spoiled the kid so bad that people joked about it being his and he would answer them with, I wish. So when I say that meeting Liz Taylor was a defining moment in Monty's life, I say it because I think it ended up dredging up a lot of things that he would have rather kept locked up. Uh, Monty was kind of prone to being that weird guy. Uh, You know, I've heard stories about how he did things like cook a steak in a fireplace at a party and then carve it up and serve it right there. And like how he and Liz used to hang out when she was pregnant, surrounded by magazines with their faces on it. Uh, His apartment in New York was just covered in mirrors so that he could look at himself constantly. I mean, you really can't make this stuff up. Uh, He and Liz kind of had a tendency to bring out the worst in each other, and he was already hooked on pills and booze by the time he got into the accident that ruined his face. But he was supposedly mostly sober when it happened. So the other reason that Liz is is a defining moment uh, in his life is simply because Monty had his car accident when he was driving home from a party at her house, and it was a party that she had pestered and goaded him into coming to. Now, I kind of, you know, debated with myself um, how in detail and in depth I wanted to go into exactly what happened to him during that car accident. Um, On the podcast, you must remember this, uh, which I talk about quite a bit and you guys should be listening to. Uh, Karina Longworth's episode about Liz Taylor has a pretty graphic description of how it looked uh, when Liz and her husband followed Roddy McDowell down to where Monty had crashed his car. 
and how she saved him from choking to death by pulling his teeth out of his throat. So suffice it to say, most of his teeth had been knocked out. Um, he had fractured uh, his ribs and some vertebra and his face was just in shreds. Um, he had a lot of reconstructive surgeries after that, but he never really looked the same. And the thing is, he was notoriously vain. I mean, like I said, he, he had his apartment just covered in mirrors. I mean, I guess if I looked like him, I would want to look at myself all the time too. But it was just like an immense blow to him that his looks were gone. You know, looking at photos of him post-accident now, uh, sometimes you almost can't tell the difference. But, you know, then you look again, look a little bit longer, maybe, you know, look at a picture of him from Judgment at Nuremberg and feel completely jarred out of your skin. Um, for the rest of his life, his upper lip was completely paralyzed. And, you know, there's just something a little wrong about his face around the eyes. He looks kind of like pinched and pained and a little, as one of his friends put it, stuffed. He was in constant pain for the rest of his life after that, and it really only worsened his addiction to pills and booze. So, you know, I could talk about Monty and how people called his death the longest suicide for literal hours. And, and he did die young um, at the age of 45. Um, he's buried in an unmarked grave in a Quaker cemetery in Prospect Park that no one's allowed into uh, because I was going to send my roommates there to take a picture of it for me when they went and visited, but you can't get in. Um, and this is kind of a really sad ending for a man who had so much promise and was such a talented actor. But even though I could talk about him and just him forever, I wanted to sort of use this story to talk about something else. And that's the way that queer people torture themselves to deny who they are out of fear. And the way that we reject uh, queer people once they're not young and beautiful and perfect anymore. So first, I'm finally going to explain to you why I have beef with David Thompson. Um, this is probably the last time I'll talk shit about him in the entire series. No promises, but uh, whatever. My big issue with Thompson is that he was very flip and dismissive of Monty and his book. Um, he mentions somewhere in the text that John Wayne was, you know, totally unimpressed with Clift while they were filming Red River, which it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, because the two of them have actually been compared to one another quite a bit. Uh, seriously, if you've um, seen a picture of J young John Wayne, he is a dead ringer for young Monty. So fine, okay, whatever. Maybe it's true and Wayne was just giving a young buck a hard time. Whatever. But Thompson kind of put the nail in his coffin for me when he started in on Monty for turning down the main role of Joe Gillis in Sunset Boulevard. Uh, the role was written for him, and it's been said that Clift kind of turned it down because he felt, like, uncomfortable playing someone who was in love with an older woman because he felt it would hit a little too close to home. Um, Thompson, though, had another idea, positing that, and I quote, Clift would have made Gillis insidiously charming instead of a desperate scrambler. You would have wanted to save Clift. That was his trick. William Holden knows that Gillis is beyond salvation. All right, let's unpack this for a second. Okay, so we know that Clift did have a gift for playing sensitive, conflicted young men, probably because he was a sensitive, conflicted young man. And because he employed the method, uh, he brought some of himself into all of his roles. So Thompson has a point, right? Well, yeah, kind of. But Thompson is mocking Clift for 
tricking people into saving him. And I kind of take this quote as uh, derisive as opposed to a compliment to um, Monty's ability to play a role. Uh, Because of the overall scorn, it appears Thompson shows for queer people and also women throughout his book. And because he seems to have so much scorn for Clift himself, you know, my thought process is more like, could it be that maybe Clift had this knack for tricking people into thinking they could save him because of his own tortured inner workings and maybe like a need for support and validation due to the turmoil he felt because of his sexuality? You know, I don't really think it would be a stretch to consider that maybe um, Cliff's friendship with Liz and his own films um, all kind of contributed to trying to reach out to someone to just kind of ease his pain. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, David Thompson has some kind of problem with this. Um, And Cliff ended up going to conversion therapy to try and fix his sexuality, uh, along with uh, trying to fix his drinking. He had a 14-foot-long medicine cabinet packed with every kind of drug he could get his hands on. His addiction was so bad that um, on the set of The Young Lions, Marlon Brando sat him down and had a long talk with him about going to therapy, going to AA, and just getting help. Uh, Brando knew addiction firsthand because I think I've mentioned his mother um, had been the town drunk while he was growing up. You know, she dried out, she got help, and she started a few chapters of AA. And, you know, Brando really admired Clift. And I'm sure that Clift admired Brando, but I think by this point, um, Brando had come to terms with his sexuality. And it might have taken him until 1976, but he did fully admit that he experimented and hooked up with men. And maybe if Monty had listened to Brando or even just quit the sauce, he would have been around in 1976 to say something similar. Um, I think that when I'm talking about Brando and Clift, I'm talking about two sides of you know, if not the same coin, but something pretty similar. Brando accepted himself and he came from this family of like artistic weirdos that understood how to accept people who were different from them, with the exception of Brando's father, um, who we've mentioned he had a pretty troubled relationship with. But, you know, for the most part, he had a good family that he loved. Monty had a pretty troubled relationship with his father too, but I think everything about his family life was troubled. Um, His mother had been adopted and she was like convinced that she was part of this old money, blue blood, New England family. And she insisted that all of her children be given the best of everything befitting their station. And Monty's father could pay for it until he lost his job. So Monty was raised in this almost like rich boy vacuum. He never did well at school, never felt at home anywhere but up on a stage. And so I feel like you've got a lost boy in Monty and a not all who wander are lost boy in Brando. Um, It's been pointed out and posited that people sort of dismiss Monty after his accident. You know, he's not as good looking and he looks very old and somewhat rumpled by the time he reaches the age that he died at. Um, you know, way more like a harried old professor than a 45-year-old movie star. The roles he took, too, turned dramatically. You know, he's not that starry-eyed young man anymore. He plays men absolutely haunted. The scars on his face do lend pretty well for these roles. Um, Grizzled Cowhand alongside Clark Gable in The Misfits, a witness to Nazi war crimes in Judgment at Nuremberg, um, even as Freud in the very cleverly titled Freud. 
Um, it's almost like losing his good looks opened up other avenues to him because he wasn't pinned down as a young, pretty boy anymore. Um, but it was hard to look at him sometimes, and it was hard for him to act. In Judgment at Nuremberg, he couldn't remember any of his lines and ad-libbed the entire scene that he was in. So to go from being hard to look at because he was too handsome to being hard to look at because his face was so identifi unidentifiable, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And, uh, you know, I want to point out, again, going back to Brando, um, the Brando episode where we talked about masculinity, how no one really talks about these roles that Monty took in uh, the second half of his career. They all want to talk about A Place in the Sun, and it's a very good movie. But it's not Monty challenging masculinity. It's not Monty challenging male beauty standards with a scarred face and chronic pain. People only want to remember their queer icon when he was gorgeous, but it's really only paying attention to half the story. After the accident, it was really hard for him to get jobs because he was deemed uninsurable by most of the big studios. So Liz offered to like put up some of her own money to insure him uh, for a few movies, but he mostly backed out of them due to his health. Um, he was supposed to play Brando's character in Reflections in a Golden Eye, and Liz had put in a lot of money to get him insured for the picture. He did back out, and some combination of like Liz and Monty's suggestion both landed on trying to get Brando for the part. Um, the studio said Brando was too expensive, so Liz offered up even more of her own money to pay his salary uh, to be paid back if the, money, if the movie made enough money. Just so you know, it made enough money. Um, and now I've talked about this before. Um, it was really one of the uh, first on-screen portrayals of what everyone knew was a gay man instead of being buried in subtext. And something in me thinks that Liz trying to get Monty into these roles was like her convoluted way of trying to help him. But when I think about Reflections in a Golden Eye, I really can't see Monty doing it. There's just so much violence that pours out of Brando's character as a direct result of being closeted in the military. You know, so much rage. Maybe, maybe he could have pulled it off. But I think ultimately playing a closeted gay man who directs his anger and confusion and, and, you know, the rage of being closeted outwards, as opposed to Monty personally, who directed it inward, would just kind of been too much for him. Uh, the movie came out the same year he died, and part of me thinks that he knew that it would have been too much for him. Uh, when, I, when he died, um, people like Lauren Bacall and Frank Sinatra showed up to the funeral. But um, Liz was in Rome shooting on location, and she just sent flowers. She talked a lot about Monty in her later years. You know, she missed him. She missed their friendship. And I think, you know, I think she couldn't bear going to his funeral as, as shitty as it was for her to skip it. Monty died uh, from a heart attack because of coronary artery disease brought on by his drinking. And his autopsy revealed a whole host of other issues uh, that he was dealing with. Thyroid problems that could have caused issues with his balance and speech even when he was sober, and problems with his digestive system from dysentery and colitis. Yes, I said dysentery. Um, but I wanted to say, um, I had a lot of trouble with this episode. I had a lot of trouble reading books about Monty and sometimes even watching his movies. And I thought at first that maybe it was like secondhand embarrassment, knowing that he hated watching his own movies and always thought he looked terrible. Um, but I think it also comes from knowing that he probably wants to be left in peace after so many years of suffering. They called his death the longest suicide, and I do think that's fair. Um, but I want to express that I did this episode out of the highest regard 
and respect and the desire to not let Monty writhe in obscurity after his death. You know, AFI took a place in the sun off their top 100 movies list when they remade it uh, for their 10th anniversary edition. And Monty isn't even listed among their top 50 actors. I mean, Liz Taylor made the number seven spot on the list of actresses. So, you know, I think that Monty was a phenomenal actor, like a really influential actor. But I just don't think he has the same sort of cultural pull that James Dean did, dying at 24 and all that. Um, you know, and he certainly didn't have the same kind of sex appeal and backstory that Marilyn Monroe does, which is why I think she's still on our radar so many years later. Um, Monty fell off the face of pop culture radar because he lost his looks. He disappeared because his death uh, was a steady descent into alcoholism and chronic pain. And people don't talk about famous people, queer or not, when they're not young and gorgeous anymore, you know, unless they're doing some weird reality show like Anna Nicole Smith did. You know, they care for a minute when someone dies and then they forget. And maybe Monty wanted to be forgotten. Um, but I think that we shouldn't lose the lessons we got from his life in the process of letting him rest in peace. Um, before I go pretty quick, um, my roommates and I play this game where we ask each other stupid questions, mostly to do with whatever fandom we're into at the moment. You know, right now there's a lot of, if you were in your chosen house in Game of Thrones, what house would you be in? But anyway, the other day, one of them asked me if I think Monty's ghost would have his perfect face or the one from after the crash. And I had to really think about this. Um, I think maybe he would make himself perfect again, but then I thought back again and maybe he would let it go and keep his wrecked one. You know, maybe him having the scarred face that he did after the crash kind of like took a little bit of the pressure off, you know, um, he didn't have to be the most handsome actor in the entire world anymore. And he could take these interesting, challenging roles. Um, you know, just a thought that I kind of wanted to share with you all. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for listening to Tuck In. We're rolling queer Hollywood stories. This episode was written, researched, edited, and recorded by me, Jack Segretto. You can find a transcript of this episode and all our episodes, along with uh, movie and book recommendations, fun facts, and photos on our Tumblr, tuckinpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash tuckinpodcast. We accept messages on both of those platforms, so please feel free to shoot us any suggestions for show topics or comments that you might have. We put out new episodes pretty much every Wednesday, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, so please don't forget to rate and subscribe to us. We will be back in two weeks with a roundtable discussion featuring my roommates about why we care so much and cling so hard to stories about queer people in popular culture. So we will see you next time.